Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The awful physical neglect that they experience, the, 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 the abrasions, the injuries, the multiple mobile phones, the missing, the missing episodes. And I mean, it just stacks up. And the families who don't know where they are, um, the trauma, the, the violence, you know, that I was dealing with in 2015 was unlike anything I've seen. You're listening to Stop and Search, and today we're going to be talking about County Lines. This is an incredible new film from director and writer Henry Blake. You really do need to see this one. It is that good. It completely encapsulates everything we've been talking about with County Lines and the drug rings. So let's get straight into this. This is Stop and Search on Scooby's Pips Distraction Pieces Network, brought to you by ACAST in association with Leap UK. Here we go. Behind your barricades. Yeah, but how long can I stay? Behind your barricades. Where Let's go and speak to Henry Blake. Go find him on Twitter at HenryBlake26. He is the writer and director of the new film County Lines, which can be screened digitally from the 4th of December and in selective cinemas. So go to the BFI player and Curzon Home Cinema and seek it out. You really do need to see this. And also take someone along or have a streaming night. Just do something, get some more eyes on this film. It completely goes into everything we talk about with County Lines, not just drugs but exploitation, how this affects the vulnerable inequality in society. This is where Henry's background is specifically interesting as well because, well, I'll let him do the talking. He explains it perfectly. So go find Henry, go find the film, and if you want to get involved in the issue as well, of course, you can support UK Leap at ukleap.org on our Facebook and website and at ukleap on Instagram and Twitter. So don't forget, 4th of December, it's available to see Let's talk about the film County Lines with Henry Blake. So I'm joined by Henry, who has done, quite frankly, a breathtaking film. I got to see this at a press screening, and I can't wait for this film to come out because it's, it puts into context everything that we've been talking about nationally about County Lines, and the film is called County Lines. So Henry, can I get you to do a bit of an introduction of yourself and, and your background as well, because I, I particularly find that fascinating. Um, yeah, my name's Henry Blake. I uh, am a writer, director, and I've, I've made a film called County Lines. Um, and where the film has come from is I've been a youth worker for the last 10, 11 years in London, working all over London in different areas. 
Um, and alongside my filmmaking, I was working with very vulnerable children. Uh, up until 2015, I had seen pretty standard or what, what is known as standard stuff in the social care sector in relation to vulnerability, which would be sort of domestic violence, extreme poverty, child sexual abuse, emotional, psychological abuse, uh, the foster care system. But in 2015, a, f a friend of mine asked me to come and help her in a pupil referral unit in East London and work with two groups of children. And one group in particular throughout that year were being exploited, trafficked, and traumatized by county lines criminal networks. And that was the first time for me as a, as a safeguarding professional, if you like, that I had come across county lines and where it, it essentially exploded in my face. Up until that point, I had kept my filmmaking and my youth work deliberately separate. I was kind of living two, two lives, if you like. But once working with this group and coming out the other side and being very distressed and shaken by what I was dealing with, I felt really compelled to bring my youth work and my filmmaking on a direct collision course. And the result is the film that you've seen, Jason. So there's going to be people that still aren't aware what County Lines means. It's, it's, it's been in the media a lot. But can you just strip it down and, and specifically what you saw as well within, within youth work? It's a highly organised series of drug distribution networks across the UK, which exploits vulnerability, whether that's vulnerable children or vulnerable adults. It uses them to traffic the drugs, to promote the lines, which are the mobile phone lines. And a mobile phone has a list of drug users in it. So depending on which area you're in, that mobile phone will trigger and contact those drug users. And then a child who has been trafficked or a child within the local area will go and distribute those drugs for whoever is controlling and coercing, pressuring that child into doing that. Um, there will often be promises of money, promises of gifts. Uh, you know, promises of working themselves the way up the food chain, but oft, uh, often those promises are not kept. It's surprising how widespread it actually is, because even in my hometown, um, I'm a prime candidate for county lines because it comes from inner cities of London out to seaside towns and, and county towns, which is where I'm situated. And it's I seen it in my high street. Because, because I know a little bit about the issue. I know that plain clothes officers are doing the arresting. I can see the distribution networks. How widespread do you think it is and how, how aware do you think the average person is of this issue? Well, to give you an idea of how widespread it became known to me was in 2015, one boy that I was working with, 15 years old from East London, went missing for three weeks. We couldn't locate him. His family didn't know where he was. When he came back into area eventually, he came back, he was malnourished, he was obviously had been through some sort of ordeal. And as soon as he got back into area, his throat was slashed. He fortunately survived. And when I sat down with him, we're um, witnessing and looking at you know his injuries, I said, where have you been? And he said, I've been in Aberdeen in Scotland. Now that's, and probably, 
an anomaly of a case in terms of the distance, but I think that paints a very clear picture as to how bold and entrepreneurial these criminal networks can be when running county lines. So you've seen and witnessed the, the real harsh reality of this and the violence that, that dovetails with it then? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a second part to your question about, oh, yeah, general public awareness. So, you know, I think probably the clearest example of that, and I said this on, on another interview, um, was when we played the film last year in Cambridge at Cambridge Film Festival. 50% of the audience post-screening, uh, post we had a Q&A, were made up of social care workers, uh, teachers, etc., safeguarding professionals. 15% were made up of Cambridge locals, the general public. And the security guard and, and security force and the social care workers put their hand up and they said, thank you, Henry, we've been dealing with this for years and we've been saying it's getting worse and worse. And then the general public put their hand up and they said, we had no idea. And so that gives you a very clear um, indication of how our awareness, our acute awareness, isn't spilling over into the general public's awareness. And if it is, it's, it's happening in such small um, moments and small, uh, to such a small population that it isn't really generating enough pressure and, and will to see any fundamental change and disruption around this. It's, it's interesting, I was, I was reading an interview with you just before we came on, and you pick out a quote that we, we quite often pick out as well, which is acceptable loss. So as you mentioned, there's a lot of vulnerable adults, a lot of vulnerable children, and there's almost like this tacit agreement of counting lines going on because of also what's going on with the informants, of, with um, covert intelligent uh, human sources as well. So what's going on within that dynamic? How... Are we allowing this acceptable loss? Why have we gone so wrong within that? Well, I think you've got a series of elephants in the room, haven't you? This is how I've come to term it, to make it tangible to people. If you look at county lines, and one of the things that makes it so uncomfortable is it kind of lifts the lid on very deep societal issues within it. So, first of all, it's a drug distribution scheme, Class A drugs. Okay, you can't deny then that County Lines has thrived and continues to thrive in terms of the amount of money that can be made and the reach that it has. So that pushes you automatically down. Well, what is our stance on drug policy and how are we helping and supporting um, drug users in the UK? which I know you want to talk about and we'll come back to. but So that's one elephant in the room, okay? The second elephant in the room is, if you were to say, look at Tyler, the lead character in the film, there's a certain degree of deficiency in his life which leads you into the area of poverty and how poverty is affecting thousands, if not millions, across the UK. And when I talk about poverty, I don't just mean... Um, socioeconomic. I also mean educational. I also mean um, psychological and emotional poverty. And so that's another elephant in the room. And then if you were to look at safeguarding systems and security force systems in this country, crime continually modernizes. It's a bit like the Mac OS system 
it continually updates itself. You know, it's a very, very intelligent information sharing network within the UK and globally. And we know this. But our safeguarding systems and security force systems do not update themselves as regularly, perhaps, as they should. And so we are playing, in many respects, catch up with something that is ever-evolving and something that is very mercurial. And that's another elephant in the room because it kind of lifts the lid on our architecture, on our safeguarding architecture. So I'm going to um, go to the film now because, again, the film is just so, so powerful. And and you mentioned the lead character, Tyler, who I've just looked up, who, who is acted absolutely superbly by Conrad Khan. He is just incredible in the film. He He gets the vulnerability across superbly. What was it like trying to find that character that could, or the, the, the actor that can convey that within that character? It must have been quite a tricky process. Well, it was, it was really led by Isha By Waters, who's the casting director, you know, and, and I think when you work with brilliant heads of department and creative collaborators, the one thing that you need to do as a director is kind of develop a very clear philosophy so they can go away and do their job to the best of their ability. And the, the philosophy with Aisha when discussing in, initially was, I'm looking for a quality. I'm looking for a characteristic. I need vulnerability. And I need it not to be acted. I need it to be inhabited. And so you need to find that. And it needs to be so powerful that when you put a camera on it, the audience wants to almost jump through the screen and give this boy a hug or a girl. Yeah, and then we're not going to have that lead character until we find that person. So she went on a huge search, saw about 300 tapes, and then whittled it down to 25, whittled it down to 12, and then I saw 12 boys in the room. And as soon as he walked in, it was very clear that I had that sort of paternal urge to go, are you okay? But... Where he is particularly spectacular is that he can do the flip side of that coin as well. You know, the trauma, the distress, the defiance, the aggression, the violence. And that means that he's got a strong emotional range. And I stress tested that range continuous, like relentlessly. And, you know, the kid survived. <laughs> this, this is why I love speaking to the directors and the writers of the films, because the process in itself is just fascinating. The fact that not only is it a subject matter that's so interesting and prominent today, but the fact that you have got the background in it. So what was the process of in that? At what point did you go, right, this now needs to be a film and I need to now take it on? When I was in that room with that group, you know, and, and when they were going missing and I was seeing all of the all of the terrible indicators that you see of children being trafficked, which can be continued, like just the awful physical neglect that they experience, the, 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 the abrasions, the injuries, the multiple mobile phones, the missing, the missing episodes. And I mean, it just stacks up. And the families who don't know where they are, um, the trauma, the, the violence, you know, that I was dealing with in 2015 was unlike anything I've seen at that time. And the tears, the grief, you know, underneath that, because you spend so much time with them, if you are commissioned for long enough as a youth worker, you're presented with all of that and then you get to the truth. And the truth was terrible with these children, that they were in a lot of pain 
and then a lot of grief. And I wouldn't, I always say to people, you spend one day in their shoes dealing with what they're having to deal with and then come back to me and say that they should be locked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I would challenge anyone from the top down to be able to get through one day of their lives, you know? Um, and it was just the instinct in me as a filmmaker, which knew I can't let this go because if I do, someone else will do it and they'll do it badly. <laughs> yeah, I completely understand that. When, when you got uh, an insight into a, a subject as, as big as this, you do, you feel, you feel beholden to do something about it. So at what point did you start putting pen to paper and go, right, this is now a project? And how long did that process take from, from page to screen? So 2015, I, 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 because of a sort of lack of, I guess, achievement or success with my other short films, I, I knew that I needed to make a proof of concept short. So I had to make a short film first. And I started writing that in November 2015. And we had a finished script in July 2016. And we shot the short film in November, December 2016. And it was finished in July 2017. I was then commissioned to write the feature script. And I finished that in March, April 2018. And then we shot the feature in 20. Uh, November, December, twenty eighteen. Wow. And then, uh, how long did it take to kind of put it all together for the screen? And also, I'm, I'm, I mentioned this at the at the start when we before we start recording, but it's been an interesting process because of lockdown as well. I saw the film uh, must have been around about the beginning of the year, I think. Um, yeah, of course, because it's been it might have even been twenty nineteen. I saw it actually. Um, and it's still it's still there. It still absolutely lasts with me. It's completely ingrained on my on my head. So what's COVID been like to to navigate the release of this film, especially around the fact that you point out in some written uh, articles that the the issue's not gone away. It's still there. Yeah, of course not. It's it's not gone away. I remember. Listen, when I was doing the short film, I had a meeting with a very senior official in a very senior institution in this country. Okay. And he said to me, you know, in six months, this will go away and it will just be sort of yesterday's new, uh, you know, fish and chip paper. And I said to him, you're wrong. I said, you know, it's not going to go away. This is the biggest thing. This is the biggest exploitation crisis this country's seen since Rotherham. And make no jokes about it. That is the truth. And even with a global pandemic, you know, county lines, criminal networks haven't furloughed their workers you know, they have adapted and uh, changed. But I think it says it all that it hasn't stopped. That's the will. That's the, that's the relentless nature of it. Um, and I think there is a degree of, I think many people want it to go away. <laughs> um, I certainly want it to go away, but I recognise that we're so far in now that a gilded knot has been created. It's like an elast a, a ball of elastic band, isn't it? And, you know, we need to slowly start trying to untie that as effectively as possible. In relation to the pandemic and the release of the film, it has been frustrating in moments, but what I would say, the positive of that, is 
throughout the lockdowns and everything, I've always had a focus and I've always had something to look forward to. And I can assure you that hasn't been the same for many, you know, and that I value that and I don't take that for granted, you know, and, and there's so much interest in the film and that's a huge privilege and that's an, an amazing position to be in. So, you know, I, I, I have sat in my house at times twiddling my thumbs, but then, you know, an email will come in and say, oh, I can't wait to see the film or, or something like that. And, and, you know, it's amazing to be in that position. It is genuinely an amazing film. I can't, I'm not just saying it because you're in front of me, but it is, it's just so impactful, so well done. And someone like myself that has seen it early, I, I want people to see it. So it must be tenfold for you that's produced something that's so impactful and so well done. You must want to get it out there, especially being that it's such a good big cause. I do, Jason, but at the same time, you must understand, like I've always said this about this film, it's very much a diary entry for me. You know, and I'm kind of letting you in on my diary. <laughs> and, you know, no one wants their diary to be read because it's the good, the bad and the ugly. So whilst I do appreciate the work being embraced, I also never, I, I, I still get incredibly nervous when the film is being shown, you know. And I think it's that quality and the material because it's so personal that you sort of go, Oh God, what, I mean, because if, if, if someone hates the film, which they have every right to, <laughs> they kind of hate my diary entry. <laughs> and that's really nerve wracking. It's also what makes it so thrilling when it does land, like say with someone like yourself and the work does land, it, it, there's an additional payoff there. That's really interesting. Cause that now makes sense to something that you said earlier in, in a written piece that when you have done screenings and Q and A's, the film starts and you run out of the room is that for that very reason that it's still like a diary entry of course i mean there's details in the film that are verbatim from my from my life wow. like verbatim you know like literally when i was writing it it was like i just closed my eyes i was in that scene and i just put it on the page i mean there are there are there are set details in it there are there's, there's, there's so much detail in it that is lifted from my life. And of course, when you see it on a 40, 60 foot screen with 300 people in front of you, obviously pre COVID, that's really like, oh my God. <laughs> um, so there's, there's a lot of you and your experience in this film then? There's, there's not me per se, not me as the personality, like not me, Henry, isn't in the film, but the situations and the settings and the details of those are in the film, for sure. Do you want me to take you through some of them? Yeah, please, if you don't mind. So at the beginning of the film, for those of you who haven't seen it, um, we establish, uh, there's no plot spoilers in this, but we establish really um, Tyler's educational sort of life, if you like, in the first major beat of the film. And you see him queuing up for lunch. And as we float through the hall, we finish on a poster of Vladimir Putin's face. And it says, um, underneath it is a text, like what type of leader are you going to be? And that detail is from me queuing up for lunch in a PRU when I was doing some work with some young people. And I looked to the wall and there was the exact same poster 
And I thought that is so crazy that Putin's in our PRUs. That's mad. And this was at the time of the Salisbury poisoning. So everything was slightly heightened. But also it's a great example of where the messaging has become so muddied and mixed because really the poster would work if there was another leader against Putin to, to sort of position that choice to the young person or the young people in the proof. But instead it's just Putin. <laughs> so I thought it's just a great example of this messaging and, and, and pr where messaging just becomes lost. And, and these young people have been given these confusing messages. And so I took, I, I made a mental note of the font type of the, of the photo. And that poster in the film is exactly the same poster that I saw. Also, the dinner ladies, the food that was cooking in that scene, I had it exactly done to what would it be. Um, there's the rubbish bin in the flat in Tyler's flat, which is, if you look at it, it's bottom frame, it's a huge rubbish bin. And when I worked with a family in um, South London once, the idea is when a family is so tired and when there's a lot of neglect in the family home, choices are made which, whilst they might appear to make life easier for the family, they don't. And one of the choices that they had made was, let's get the biggest bin possible and put it in the kitchen, right? So that way we don't have to take the rubbish out every three days. But of course, long term, it's not an effective choice because the bin is fucking massive. So it fills up and up and up to the point that it's spilling over. And then, of course, no one takes it out because it's the size of a small planet. And then you've just got food spilling out everywhere. And it's that choice that that it's that detail that says to me as a youth worker or as a safeguarding professional that the family isn't there's a pressure here, there's a stress that is affecting their choices. Does that make sense? It's the perfect metaphor, isn't it? It really is. Exactly. And so that's in the flat. Um, oh, Christ, there's so many details. I mean, to talk about a bigger scene, there's a scene when Tyler is uh, physically abusive towards his mother. It's a terrible scene. Um, not like terrible scene as in it's terrible to watch because it's very, very uh, dramatic and hard. I've been in that scene as a youth worker. I've had to split up a child and a mother fighting and literally taking chunks out of each other. So for me, when I was writing that, it was very distressing because it brought up a lot for me. Um, but it, that's what I mean about it being a diary entry for me. Does that make sense? Completely. Do you think that the because you in your role you must have had such hard hitting moments like you just explained? Do you think that as a director you have managed to convey those through the film adequately so that people will pick up on what it's like both to be someone that is in a deprived area but also just having some degree of empathy for what's going on within county lines and the family setups that that cause those? Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, I think I tried to, I pushed the actors as hard as I could, you know, and, and in the safest possible way. So you never want to exploit your actors and you never want to um, make them not safe, but you also need to fly as close to the sun as possible. Um, and I think I, I got there. I struck, I was riding a line. I'm not going to lie. You know, I was, I was aware it's, it's all about judgment and all about listening to the moment and understanding how far you can go and not every day is the same. So you've got to be very tuned in as a filmmaker. 
But um, overall, I think it also came from the fact that the everyone on this film was doing it for the right reasons, because they cared. And I can assure you they weren't doing it for the money because there was none. So, you know, at the end of the day, you've then got to offer people an opportunity to say something and where they can actually author their work in a, in a way that they can be proud of. Um, and that was the case across the board. So that's why I could push the work so far. So what was it like with the cast and crew? Um, did did any of them have awareness to the issue or was it learning on the job? And also, what was it like going through the process? It, it, like you said, the fact you pushed it must have been a stressful experience. Yeah, it was a, it was a stressful experience for me. I, I, I'm being asked this a lot at the moment because people kind of equate the stress of the film to... God, that must have been stressful to make. And whilst it was in many ways, it was also wonderful because I was working with my frequent creative collaborators. So it's very much like a family atmosphere. Um, and I work very closely with, you know, my cinematographer, my composer, my editor, Victoria, who's my wife, who produced the film. You know, so I'm, I've got some really great partners in crime there. Um, for me personally, having reflected on the experience, what I found the most distressing was, was trying to strike the truth in the violence. Because I find violence very distressing because I've seen so much of it. And when you have seen so much of it, it's not fun to recreate. <laughs> you know, it isn't. I, I don't find it fun to recreate. And that that took its toll on me. And I didn't realize how much it took its toll on me until I was in the editing process. And I had sort of chance to come up for air, if you like. Um, but I think, you know, overall as well, there was a catharsis because I think if you take filmmaking and say real life experience, it's basically an alchemical process. You're taking base metals, base experiences, base emotions, and through kind of will and work and communication, you're trying to take those and, and turn them into gold. And that's the great process of cinema, you know? And there's something very cathartic about that. What was it like with, with because obviously addressing County Lions and, and the drug networks, Youth violence goes hand in hand with that. So, as you mentioned, you've seen it yourself firsthand, but it's also depicted in the film. What was that like? Because we've we've experienced this before with with the police officers that we've spoken to that have been undercover, got PTSD now. There's this um, you know this moral damage that, that that they speak about, and just seeing something depicted can bring back that that adrenal rush. Is that the same for you when you're depicting it? Was you getting the flashbacks and the, oh my word, what are we doing? No, I wasn't getting flashbacks, but I was getting sort of, I think, sensations, physical sensations, you know, of being there. Um, yeah, I would definitely get physical sensations. Being inside that flat, inside the flat, brought up a lot for me because I've been inside a lot of impoverished, tiny flats and it brought up a lot of emotional content for me. Um, I wouldn't say trauma, but I would say sort of strong sense memories of, of the work. And, and you know, I've, I've, I've worked with a lot of police and I know a number of police across the UK. Um, I'm not massively close to all of them, but I have worked with them and, and a lot of them have told me about their PTSD. 
and um, you know you can see the distress because dealing with violence is really really painful you know and and it does rip you open um, yeah as you just mentioned the fact that there is such realism to the film both in terms of what's happening on the streets but simple things like you mentioned you know being in that flat confined environment impoverished the bin overflowing how do we how do we go about trying to solve that you know the county lines is built upon uh, lack of opportunity so what do we do to make sure that we can try and plateau county lines as a concept and have a fairer society i know i know it's a ridiculous big question but mm, the simple thing is first you've got to give a shit you've got to care <laughs> you know and at the moment as we're seeing i mean we're recording this on a day where you know at the high, in the highest office of the land has they've just been excusing bullying and and condoning it and justifying it which to me is absolutely unbelievable and so you've got such a level and you've got so many layers of apathy towards this that that in part plays into a culture which which enables it you know and Fairness of opportunity isn't seen to be the discussion around fairness of opportunity. You get so many eyes rolling when you bring that up. You know, it's not about being on trend. It's not about being cool. It's about being relentless and willful in, in bringing these things up. And you have to bring them up actually in imaginative, um, compelling ways. Hence why I went to the lengths of making a film about it. Because I knew that if I wrote a report about it, it would just go on top of the pile of never-ending reports. You know, so we've all got to get a bit more creative in the way that we handle this. And, and you are seeing that. You know, loads of um, communities are, are starting to um, become more imaginative in their approach to this. But if the, top, if the people at the top in the high office have a fundamental lack of empathy towards those concepts then there's a big problem how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You key in something I'm always discussing with people. Um, creative activism is something I'm passionate about. Um, I've got um, nothing like you, but I've got a filmmaking background myself. Um, um, and also this, this very podcast, it was created years ago to try and get messages out there to ears that wouldn't want to listen. So how important is it, films, media, alternative media, getting messages out there? Hugely important. Look what Steve McQueen's just done with the Small X anthology. I mean, I don't care what anyone says, that is as important as the historical books that are in the, the, the Great British Library. That is a visual, sonic, historical piece of storytelling, you know? And he has come at things in the most ins inspirational, imaginative, powerful way. And like you say, podcasts. Podcasts are blowing up all over the world because they're easy to execute and people have the freedom to say and do what they want to say and do. And so... I think it is it is the only way forward, <laughs> especially as life becomes more uh, contained. You know, it means that we have to dig even deeper and be even more imaginative. And I see loads of people doing that. It's interesting you mentioned the Steve McQueen um, trilogy because you're going to be released after Leroy Logan, who is featured in that in that trilogy. So it's quite good that you link that in. Um, but I'm always asking as well, what's it like? Um, when we're talking about activism, we've got grassroots and we've got the, for want of a better term, upper echelons, you know, the people in parliament that we need to get listening. How do we do that? Do we do we talk to the people at the, again, really crude terminology at the bottom, so that works its way to the top, or do we have to kind of pitch our way to the top? How do we do that? You have to build pressure. That's how you do it. You have to build pressure. If you look at Rotherham, Rotherham went on for 14 years, 10 to 14 years, roughly, before really there was enough general public awareness and pressure on senior leadership to actually do something about it. So it's about building pressure. And you can only do that when public awareness of whatever you are trying to build pressure for reaches critical mass. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's it, like... I think people sometimes come at it from, from an angle of, I want this to change and I want this to change now. But revolution occurs bit by bit, moment to moment. And, and <laughs> I'm from New Zealand, so to use, to use my, my, obviously my favourite my favorite, um, team, although I'm not very happy with them at the moment because we've just had two straight losses, the All Blacks, <laughs> One of the reasons why the All Blacks are that have been the greatest rugby side in the world is because they are so good at building pressure throughout the game. 
whether that's and it's it's the small victories, you know, a turnover or it forcing the other side into uh, missing a tackle. And those build time and time again and create a climate where then they can just execute the win. And it's the same with this, you know, people fight for change, but actually it, it maybe they get frustrated when change doesn't happen because maybe it's not about fighting for change, but maybe it's about building pressure. And then through that, change will eventually occur because there is enough pressure, you know? So that's where I am on the park with, with all of that. So you would have had an array of audiences that, that you would have had the finger in the air whilst sort of with the feedback and, and watching what's coming your way. What has been the feedback like in the sense of people that have, you mentioned at the start of this chat, people that have got no idea what's going on and then you've got the youth workers going finally someone's saying something but also a policy making level is there, has there been any feedback there as well yeah it's, it makes them real uncomfortable yeah <laughs> you know and i mean there's a lot of policy people there who get it and they go i, I really want to try and contribute and and shift the narrative and all of this there are but there are those who have are, are very very uncomfortable when viewing it you know and um, it make, I think it makes them even more uncomfortable because of my background, because if it was just a standard filmmaker who kind of lifted it from the newspaper, they could say, well, you know, there's probably a lot of dramatization. Whereas like it sort of twists the knife with their uncomfortableness when I say, no, I've been a youth worker for 10, 11 years and I've seen this shit for real. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, mm. and it's not to say that a discussion then can't occur. A discussion can absolutely occur, but they are uncomfortable. And we have to have the will to have un uncomfortable conversations. You know, we need to be adults about this. So it's also about courage. You know, I always, I've always said, for those who are listening, I think the greatest quote that sums up my stance with all of this is the James Baldwin quote, the great American author, author and essayist, who says, not everything that is faced will change, but nothing can really change until it is faced. Perfect. You know what I mean? That is, that's an amazing quote. I love that. It's, it, like I said, from my position of being someone that's just... Be from an activist point of view into doing what I'm doing now, which whatever that is, it's just, it's been so fascinating to watch the county lines conversation grow. And i really do think that what you produced is so, so necessary to get it out there. Is there any plans to use it as, as a bit of a, a tool, a bit of a learning process and getting it out there? Yeah, for sure. There are discussions. I mean, I've always spoken with the BFI about that and like, you know, once it is released and then so there's phases of release when you release a film. So you have the big first release and then you sort of have a second wind where you might develop second strategies. And that's certainly in the second wind where it's like, okay, we've had the big release. Now let's start getting into the grassroots release where we can actually make this available um and i've been really big on if there is and i know there is a, a you know a dvd being developed then within that dvd there needs to be you know really heavily bespoke um articulate and intelligent resources within it so if people want to use the film as an educational resource they also have um some stuff to lean on 
inside the DVD, which I think, you know, will be really useful. That's, that's again, exactly perfect. The fact that it's one thing watching the film, but there's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to do something about this. So in your, in your opinion, what can people do to address this subject, take it on, get it to the people that, that want to listen? What can we do to try and lessen county lines as a concept? I know it's a big question again. It's a very big question. It's a very big question. I think probably, first of all, if you don't know what it is, go away and do some reading and sort of exert some curiosity around the topic because I think you'll find some pretty distressing, you know, information out there, which is, and there is some decent information out there about the realities of it. I think, um, you know, if you do work in a school and if you do work in, in, in an area that is deprived, you know, hold a community meeting about it, you know, and actually discuss, like, who are the vulnerable people in this community, children and adults, and are we doing the best that we can do? You know, I've seen this child walk around all the time, and I don't know his parents and what is happening there. You know, if you look at the Daniel Pelker case, you remember the Daniel Pelker case with the boy who sadly was tortured to death by his parents? Um, the leading detective on that does an incredible presentation around the safeguarding failures within the community that contributed to Daniel Pelker's death. And there were many failures from the, obviously the parents, but from members of the community like the school and others who didn't act on their instincts when they should have and engaged with the community on a grassroots level to say, hold on, what is actually going on with this boy? You know, so it's about peeling your eyes back a little bit, getting wise. And I always say with youth work, the job is, and I think this is with any citizen, is to make a mountain out of a molehill. Because too often with county lines cases, that molehill becomes a mountain, and then it's very hard to get that child down off it. Now, nine times out of ten, when you're a youth worker, if you're if you're making mountains out of molehills and they event and they come to nothing, then that's good, you know. But it's your job to raise these red flags as early as possible, and so it's about again will and energy around this. I find it very very interesting that you are framing the conversation around exploitation. And we've not mentioned drugs that much within this conversation, even though the county lines, as soon as it hits the headlines, is drug running, drug rings. Do you think that we are distorting the truth by framing it in drugs as, as opposed to exploitation? I think it's convenient to frame it in drugs, even though drugs is a large part of the reality of it, because drugs has become so stigmatised within the UK itself. So it kind of from a political point of view, it's easy then because then it all just funnels into, well, drugs are bad and, and this is bad and everything. But what it's not doing is it's not going, hold on a minute, county lines is a community issue at the, at, on, in, in the very realist sense. It exploits local business. It exploits local vulnerability across the UK, you know, and it uses national businesses as well initiatives, whether that's taxi firms, whether that's hire card companies, whether that's printing companies to print off promotional material, mobile phone companies, um, Airbnbs, um, you know, housing associations, council flats. It, it, it's an absolute total community issue. Of course, if we frame it in that way, 
then it creates this idea that we are all somehow responsible. And is that what the political, is that what policymakers want to say to the general public? <laughs> Do you think that could be the key to it, the fact that historically drugs have been the thing of inner cities, um, deprived areas, but now because of county lines, everybody's seen an impact. As I said, I've got it on my doorstep. The fact that you said it, it overlaps to so many services, whether it be youth workers, uh, public transport, shopping centres. Do you think now this could be the because it's so big and vast that we have no choice to it? Yes, and of course, and I think it's made the, the, the tired old narratives and the discourse around all of this look completely out of date. And people are going, but hold on a minute. This is, I can see it happening, like you say. And this is a peaceful rural area. We're just good, good dwelling folk. Um, so what are you telling me that this is just, you know, happening in major cities? Um, and of course, when people see it play out for real, it changes the attitude towards it, doesn't it? Because it suddenly becomes human and it becomes real and tangible. And so the discourse around all of this, people know that... They can't just sort of put out the old party line, you know, and expect people to go, oh, yeah, okay, well, it's happening over there, but it's not happening here. It doesn't affect me. Because that's not the case anymore, is it? And you make a great point in, in a written piece that even though so many people have been furloughed because of COVID, it hasn't happened within the county lines uh, distribution networks. There's no furlough there. So do you think that there's this almost irony to the fact that we've got this pandemic that is COVID, but we're still not addressing the things in society that matter, like county lines and exploitation. Yeah, of course. Modern day slavery, child criminal exploitation, it's all going on. It's a, it's a booming industry, isn't it? Are you still following the, the issue now? Is it something that you can put down now? Yeah, I mean, I still follow it. I, I, I like, obviously, I like to follow it. I think what's really interesting is that there's constant new information on it. And that is really fascinating. And that it's this multi-headed hydra that just keeps like, you know, it's kind of like um, Agent Smith in the Matrix, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I find that really interesting that it kind of has, it, it, it's now got to such a scale that it kind of feeds itself. You know what I mean? Um, and you have to ask how, how did it get to that level of operational nous? you know? Um, because there are a series of brains behind this that are extremely intelligent. Um, and I think that's also the other thing that I struggled with in 2015 was when I was talking about this, I was saying the perception of it was just, oh, it's just a bunch of boys on the corner of an estate shifting a bit of weed. And I was like, no, 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 hold on a minute. This, this, this is like highly organized crime. This is more in line with what the fuck is happening in Mexico. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is really, really organized, highly violent exploitative crime um and and so again it's about like get serious because if you don't take it seriously it's just going to keep going you know i'm going to i'm going to wrap up now with with three uh, last questions one of them being you make a really good point there of how did we let it get to this operational now so what are the root causes of why we got it to this vast network in the first place apathy willful blindness 
outdated systems of communication, information sharing and safeguarding and um, a, I think, conscious neglect to address drug distribution in the UK and our stance on how we support um, drug users. And then secondly, what are the solutions? <laughs> how do we go about trying to fix this, this tapestry? I think following through with reports and their recommendations in trying to take on a more harm reduction approach to drugs in general in the UK. I know everyone then goes, are you saying legalizing everything? Not necessarily. I, I'm, I'm still researching into that myself, but I, I am for absolutely a harm reduction approach because I think vulnerable drug users need support. And um, this whole idea of, well, they're breaking the law, so, you know, lock them up, it just doesn't work. I've spoken to judges, <laughs> you know, and they're tired of it. You know, there needs to be more imagination and collaboration there with, with supporting vulnerability. Um, and I think that would, that would contribute to maybe a safer, less violent climate you know, within the UK, UK. And that's what I want to see first and foremost is I want to see a reduction in the violence because the violence is where the trauma is, you know, and the exploitation is where the trauma is. And exploitation goes hand in hand with violence, whether that's psychological, emotional or physical, financial, whatever. I, I completely agree with what you said there. There's so many people that are in the criminal justice system uh, trying to uphold the law like judges um, this is why the organization that I I'm executive director of somehow again I've just I've just become a grassroots activist that ended up where I am but it's so exciting the people that I get to see and work with because it is judges it's undercover officers it's MI5 all saying look we need to do this we need a radical different approach it's really interesting because like in 2015 I didn't know where I was on all of this you know and I knew that you would bring this up but given the organization that you are um you CEO now? Yeah, yeah, somehow. <laughs> and that's great. But it's really interesting because for the last five years, I've obviously been across the UK. I've spoken to so many people about this and so many experienced professionals within all the sectors that you just named. And we're talking like people who have racked up 25, 30 years plus. Okay. Now, if you speak to those people, 25, 30 years who have done their time, and they've seen multiple climate changes within this, they all say, we need to change strategy, you know? And they might not agree on all the same strategy, but what they do say is whatever we're doing now isn't working, you know? And we need to really not even throw out the rule book. We need to write a new, a, to a totally new rule book. And that takes courage. Doesn't it? it that, like, if you were to boil it down, you can come up with all the excuses and everything. But at the end of the day, to exist outside of the box and to push forward, that takes courage. You know? And then my last question is about the film. So people go and see it. First of all, how, how can they go and see it? But then after they've seen it, what can they do to get involved in this issue? So December the 4th is when it's released. It's released in cinemas across Ireland and the UK. Whatever cinemas will be open, independent, um, and some others, I believe. Um, and it's on digital. So you can get it on the BFI iPlayer, which you can access via Amazon. 
and it's on Curzon Home Cinema and it's on the IFI player in Ireland. Um, when you watch it, you, you purchase the film and then you can watch it. And then I would say, depending on what area you are in, if you would like to, uh, you know, pursue your interest in county lines, then get in touch with your local councillor or your local um, whoever is representing that area and ask for them to share the information that they have on your local area and what is happening with county lines. There is also a county lines coordination centre. There's the Children's Society. There's um, a load of charities that have many, many um, useful reports online that you can download that have public access. But I think it, it, it's all area-centric, isn't it? So they're gonna, people are going to watch it and they're going to want to know, is this going on in my area? And that's where you need to get in contact with your local authority and your local uh, political leadership to say, I want the information on what is happening in our era in relation to this. That's brilliant. Honestly, Henry, thank you so much for the film and thank you so much for this conversation. No worries, Jason. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Henry, Henry Blake, for giving us such a brilliant and enlightening conversation. And you've got to see this film. You really have. So on the 4th of December, it's going to be available. Certain cinemas, but the BFI player and Curzon Home Cinema, go there, visit there and get involved. Stream it, watch it, take someone and stream it to someone that doesn't necessarily partake in this issue. Make sure that we raise awareness to County Lines. It's such a good film. It really, really is. And one of my thank yous. Thank you again, Henry, for giving us such a brilliant conversation. And our producers, thank you to Nikki, Tristan and John for all you do. Thank you to My Name Is Ad for the artwork. Thank you to Johnny Borrell for the theme tune. Scoobies Pip for having us on your brilliant distraction piece and network. And thank you, John Harris, for all you do on our social media. And if you can do this as well, it always helps. Share, subscribe, all of those things that help get these issues out there. It really does make a difference. So, until next time, thank you again for listening. Go watch County Lines. Behind your barricades Yeah, but how long can I stay? Behind your barricades Where true love seldom Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 